Welcome to the Faith for All podcast. This week, we're listening to a sermon given by Pastor Dana O'Brien about living the Lord's Prayer. We hope this message is inspirational for you. Our reading today is from the sixth chapter of Matthew, beginning at the fifth verse. And whenever you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners, so that they may be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward. But whenever you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you are praying, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard because of their many words. Do not, do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then in this way. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not bring us to the time of trial, but rescue us from the evil one. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. And that was one of the versions of the Lord's Prayer. And it's the one we're going to kind of focus on. So, as I mentioned, it is the first Sunday in Lent, which means that it is time for a new sermon series. We were eight weeks on that last one, and I was running out of stuff to say. So, we're calling this one Living the Lord's Prayer, and if you can't remember it, you just have to read my shirt. Um, and you know, you guys, we recite this prayer every Sunday in worship. Every Sunday. But I'm wondering, how often, how often have we thought deeply about exactly what it is we're saying? I can answer for myself, not all that often. Over the next six weeks, we're going to do exactly that. We're going to think deeply about what we're saying, as each week we focus on one petition in the prayer. And I, I'll admit, I'll, at first, I wasn't sure we'd have enough to fill six weeks. Um, but now, after just a week of research, um, I, have, I actually have no idea how I'm going to be able to communicate the depth and richness of this prayer in only six weeks. So that's a good problem to have. So here we are. Okay, now. You may not know this, but there are actually two versions of the Lord's Prayer in the New Testament. Um, th this morning, I just read the version that you find in Matthew's Gospel, where Jesus presents this prayer as the centerpiece of his Sermon on the Mount. And by, and by the end of Lent, by the end of this sermon series, I think you're going to understand exactly how this prayer encapsulates not only the entire Sermon on the Mount, but the entirety of Jesus' ministry. It's, it's really, it's really key. In fact, when people were in the first century before they became baptized, this was the prayer that they learned, and it was the thing that they were to memorize, and it was what formed, formed them as, as Christians. Anyway, in Luke's Gospel, Jesus shares a slightly shorter version of the prayer, and he does that in response to his disciples' request to teach them to pray. Um, the version we normally pray is here at Cross of Glory, and in most Protestant churches, um, is pretty similar to the one that we read in Matthew, except it includes an ending that isn't in Matthew or Luke. The ending is found in an early Christian teaching manual called the Didache, the Didache. And it was written near the end of the first century. So we know that Christians during the, the early first, second century felt free to modify the Lord's Prayer a little bit to reflect the, um, the group of, of people, the, the community that was praying it. That's not something people are all that willing to do right now. 
Um, anyway, over the next few weeks, we're going to focus on the version that we find in Matthew's Gospel. And it starts with an introduction, uh, who, who are we praying to? And then it is evenly, pretty evenly divided into two parts. The first part consists of three petitions related to God. God's holiness, God's kingdom, and God's will. And then the second group of petitions follows, and it deals with us, with humanity, okay? It deals with our daily needs, with forgiveness, and with temptation. And the really cool thing, and maybe you've, maybe you've already noticed this, the really cool thing is that these two parts of the Lord's Prayer coincide really nicely with what Jesus tells us are the two greatest commandments. Love God with everything you've got and love your neighbor as yourself. Stuff that deals with God, stuff that deals with humanity, right? So whenever we pray this prayer, we want to think of what we're saying in that context, of how it impacts how we love God and how it, how it affirms and enriches how we love our neighbors. When we translate what we're saying into action, it helps us to better live out those two commandments. And, and we know this. Because, because remember, not only does prayer, and we've talked about this before, not only does prayer deepen our relationship with God, but when lived out, prayer transforms us. Prayer makes us more the people God created us to be. This prayer definitely calls upon God to do certain things, and we're going to see that as we go through it. But in addition, as we, as we say it, we commit ourselves to work with God to make those things happen. Right? And, and we know that's not very surprising because we talk about this too. We know that whenever we pray, whenever we pray, we can expect God to use us to accomplish whatever it is we're praying about. So the, the caution on what you pray about because odds are God may use you to, to make it happen. So today, we look at the introduction and the first petition. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Now, it was not unheard of to address God as Father in the Old Testament, but not very common. I think it happened only 40 times in the entire Old Testament. Jesus comes on the scene. He takes it to an entirely new level. Indeed, the word Father was by far and away Jesus' favorite term for addressing God. And if you read John's Gospel, you see it all the time. To open this prayer, Jesus actually uses the word, uh, Aramaic word, Abba, which means more like dad than father, um, but reflects the close and the really intimate bond he shares with God. And you may remember that this is also the word he uses for God when he's in the Garden of Gethsemane. So, you know, when he's, when he really, when he's really leaning on God really hard, this is the word he goes to, Abba, Father. And here's what's key for us. Because Jesus invites his followers, both his, his first disciples long ago and the disciples today, to participate in that same intimate relationship that Jesus shares with God, okay? By giving us this word, by saying, you use this word too. Your relationship with God is the same intimate relationship with God that I have. By using this relation, relational word, Abba, Dad, Father, we too, we too are invited to claim our identity and approach God as beloved children. It's not us and God, it's us and God. God as our beloved father, us as God's beloved children. And you can tell that the early church really bought into this. They took it to heart because twice in Paul's letters, he encourages the early Christians to use this word Abba, use this word Abba, reminding them that we are God's adopted sons and daughter, heirs, heirs of God through Christ. Now, using the term father tells us a lot about who this God is that we're praying to, okay? Because even though we've never seen God the Father, right? We've never, God is, God is invisible. 
We know all about God the Father because we know the Son. And we looked at this last year when we were doing our essential Jesus readings. As God's Son, as God incarnate, God literally come to earth, Jesus reflects the essence of who God is, right? So, if you want to know what God is like, look to Jesus. If you want to know what God loves, what's important to God, what makes God mad, or what makes God smile, look to Jesus. And Luther said this time and time and time again. Jesus shows us who God is, but the best, the best revelation of who God is, of who God, of God's enormous love for us, comes from that picture of Jesus on the cross. Everything. And this is really important because people are going to tell you all your life who God is. They're going to, they're going to, we all have images of God. You know, there's vengeful God, there's all sorts of Republican, Democrat God, all sorts of stuff. Everything that you think or read or hear about God has to be tested against the love of God as evidenced by the picture of Jesus on the cross. If it's inconsistent with that picture, that's not who God is. If it's inconsistent with Jesus on the cross, that's not who God is. The other cool thing, as Jesus' disciples, and you know, disciples, their whole job is to, their whole goal is to become more like their rabbi. As Jesus' disciples, as we grow to become more and more like the Son, like Jesus, we inherently are becoming more and more like our Heavenly Father. Okay? Now, even though we know who Jesus, who God is by looking at Jesus, not by analogizing to our own parents. It's hard not to do that. So seeing God as a loving father is harder for those who have difficult relationships with their own earthly fathers. And we know this. So if that happens to be you, and you know, it, it, it is the way it is. Families have amazing and fascinating aspects to them, all families. Um, if that's you, when you are praying, think of another adult. If, if get, thinking of your father gets in the way, think of another adult in your life who you love and you know has your back, right? And since God is not gendered, you don't have to think of a male adult. You can think of your mother or any other adult in your life, right? But here's the way to look at this, really. I mean, if you were going to separate it. God is the perfect parent, the model father or mother or parent. And the love that God constantly pours on each of us is how all earthly parents should be. We don't look at God through the lens of our parent. We look at our parent through the lens of God. And if you want to, a great example is the prodigal son, the father and the prodigal son. Perfect example of God. Next, we take a step back and we look at the first word, our father. You guys, it's our father, not my father, okay? Although I'll bet you when lots of us pray it, that's what we're thinking, my, my father. Most of the Lord's Prayer is written in the first or second person plural. It's, it's us, it's our, it's, it's y'all, y'all. Notwithstanding our individualistic culture, this is not a prayer about me and my individual relationship with God. And, and that's good. I mean, that's comforting. Because it means that even when you pray this prayer by yourself, you are not alone. You are not alone. This is a very personal prayer, but it is never a private prayer. And of course, our Father, the term, is also really challenging. Because, because when we pray to God, our Father, we are implicitly recognizing that all people are God's children. All people, right? Um, and we talk, we talk about this all the time, too. Guys, all means all. All means all. God's children include people that are very similar to us, but they also include people who are very different from us. They include people we like and people not so much, right? This prayer, just, the, just that, one, that one phrase, our Father, 
destroys all the walls and the lines that we use to divide and exclude people because we're praying to our Father. And when we do that, we pray with and on behalf of all of God's children everywhere. And we know that God's children, everybody is God's child, right? We cannot pray our Father without encompassing all those people. We direct our prayer to our Father in heaven. And we're going to talk about the, the, the word heaven more next week when we look at the coming of God's kingdom. But for now, this is, this is really important. It's all you have to remember about heaven or where God is. The Greek word for heaven is Uranus. Uranus, from which we get the, the, the uh, planet Uranus. And Uranus refers both to the entire cosmos, everything in our universe, as well as the air and the atmosphere that's immediately around us. So here's what you want to remember. When we are speaking to God our Father, we are talking to the God who both created the entire universe and yet is as close to us as the very air we breathe. Right? Entire universe and as close as us to the air, the air we breathe. The last phrase we're going to look at today is hallowed be thy name. Now, we don't use the word hallowed much anymore. In fact, we don't use it at all, except when we're praying this prayer. You just don't, people, people don't walk around saying hallowed, hallowed, um, except Halloween. Um, it refers to something that is holy, something that is holy. Strictly speaking, holiness belongs only to God. Only God is holy, okay? And when something else is hallowed or, or holy or referred to as holy, it means that God has set it apart for God and for God's purposes. For example, in Genesis, the, the Sabbath is holy. Um, later on, the temple is holy. And continually, God's people are holy, both in Israel and in Israel in the Old Testament and then Christians in the New Testament. The, and the phrase is, be holy, for God is holy. And you can see it in both Leviticus and 1 Peter. Now, of course, when we pray, hallowed be thy name, we are not making God any holier than God is already because you can't do that. It doesn't get any holier than God. God is already the epitome of holiness. Instead, we're asking God to hallow God's name by making us better reflections of who God is. Making us better reflections of who God is. We are asking God to make God's divine holiness show through in us. So when that people see us, they see the goodness and love and holiness of God. And that's really important, you guys, because we know that there are lots of people in our world today who are put off, who are put off by Christianity because they see and hear about Christians who live in ways that do not at all hallow God's name. Christians who are unkind and judgmental and materialistic and hypocritical and racist and vices divisive and sometimes downright nasty, and you know I could just keep going on and on and on. And all these people give God a really bad name. They do not hallow his name. They give God a really bad name and a bad reputation. And here's the important thing, guys. We know that sometimes those Christians, those followers of Jesus, who pray this prayer all the time, sometimes those people are us. Sometimes those people are us. Sometimes we are the ones who are acting poorly and giving God a bad name. Now, a bit ago, I reminded us that even though none of us have ever seen God, we know exactly what God is like because we've seen Jesus, right? Well, we know that there are a whole bunch of other people in the world who are out there looking. They're really looking to know the God that we know. But they aren't out there reading their Bibles. They aren't out there coming to worship. They aren't out there learning about Jesus. How do they, how do they learn about God? They learn about God through us, right? We are the only witness 
that they have as to who God is. And if we don't act and, and speak in ways that witness, that witness to the God of love and grace and joy and hope that we know, then how are they going to know that God? We're not doing a very good job of hallowing God's name. Here's the key. When we pray this prayer, we are not only asking God to help us witness to the holiness of God's name, because, you know, guys, we can't do this by ourselves. But we are also committing to do, to do our best to hallow God's name by living and speaking as good witnesses of who God is. We're telling God that, that we want to be different than the rest of the world, right? We want to be different so that people see, who see us know what our God of love looks like. Every time we say this prayer, we're committing to be holy because our God is holy. Had no idea that was all that in that little phrase, did you? Okay, so far today, we have just touched the surface of this prayer, just the intro and the first, the first petition. And already, already we've, we've recognized who we are. We are a vast, worldwide community of beloved children of our holy God, the God who both created the universe and is as close to us as our very breath. And we've asked God to help us hallow God's name with lives that reflect God's love and hope and joy to all those around us. Not bad for one day, right? Hey, then it only gets better. There's more. But before we finish, you thought we were done. I want to give you a little homework. Yeah, I know. I heard somebody complain. Homework! Okay, and, and I think it sounds better. Let's not call it homework. Let's refer to it as a Lenten spiritual practice. How does that sound? I know that people are more willing to do stuff in Lent because especially if you grew up Catholic, you know that something bad is happening during Lent. You got to give up something. You got to add something. So it's always a good time for me to add homework in. Lenten spiritual practice. Okay. Remember that Christian teaching manual called the Didache that I referred to earlier at the beginning of the sermon? Well, that document not only includes a version of the Lord's Prayer similar to the one we pray, but it also includes directions of how to pray. And if you go to the very bottom of the prayer, it indicates that Christians should pray this prayer three times a day. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't think, I don't think I have ever prayed the Lord's Prayer other than in corporate worship or in some other communal setting, sometimes in people's homes, sometimes in hospital bedsides, but I've, I've only prayed it with other people there. I have never prayed it by myself, and I know, I know this, I have never said it three times a day unless I was in three worship services. I have never said it three times a day, but now that I'm learning that there's so much more to this prayer than what I had previously thought, I am willing to give it a try, okay? For the remainder of Lent, the remainder of Lent, I am going to recite this prayer three times every day, in the morning, midday, and right before I go to bed. And not only will I recite it three times a day, I'm going to actually think about what I'm saying as I say it, especially whatever phrase it is that we've been working on this week. And you realize that the reason I'm saying all this to you out loud, two reasons. Number one, when you announce something out loud, people hold you accountable, and people, you guys may actually come up to me and say, so I ain't coming with that Lord's Prayer. The second reason I'm saying it, and you know where I'm going here, is that I'd like all of you to join me in this practice, okay? Just like the earliest Christians did it. We're all going to recite the Lord's Prayer in a few minutes right before we do communion, so that's number one. And then I would like all of us to do it two more times today, and then three times a day for the rest of the week, okay? And then we'll deal with next week when next week comes. And I'm hoping that as we continue to learn more about this prayer, and discover how it really does encapsulate Jesus' teaching on how we live. It's a lot more than just, just talk. It's how we live. We will come to depend upon it as a spiritual practice that extends well beyond the Lenten season. Amen. Wait, are you guys in? All right, that's what I want to hear.
And you guys at home are in too, right? I know, I can tell, I can see you nodding. We hope you enjoyed this podcast and that you're able to bring some of these concepts into your life. Come back next week for another episode of Faith for All. Faith for All was created by Cross of Glory Church. If you'd like more information on Cross of Glory, please visit our webpage at crossofglory.com where you can learn more about the church, see our upcoming events, and watch previous services and sermons. You can also find us on Facebook and YouTube. Everyone, and we do mean everyone, is welcome to join us at 9.30 a.m. each Sunday morning for worship on our website, Facebook, YouTube, or in person at 14719 West 163rd Street, Homer Glen, Illinois. If you enjoyed this podcast, please tell your friends, family, and anyone else you can think of about it. Faith for All is available on Podbean, Spotify, Apple and Google Podcasts, or wherever else you find podcasts. Todd Mazera created our original music. John Uzardo engineered the sound. Jeff Wanderson handled the production duties. And I'm your friend and humble announcer, Andrew Morin. Thank you for joining us. Thank you.